Hello and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous with Charlie and Ken. Um, we managed to find a gap in our busy schedules again. We've uh, we've been um, finding it a little bit tricky to to find gaps, but I'm um, happy to catch you. Um, I'm actually just back from a family trip to the UK. I was back there for my sister's wedding for a couple of weeks. Um, severely jet lagged now, and I believe Ken is down in Florida, having um, just driven down there from Pennsylvania. Must be quite a long drive. Long drive. Yeah. Have you seen Florida Man? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking, looking you, for the Florida Man. Have you man. seen Florida Man yet? <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got time. I'm, I'm curious to, uh, to hear if you find him. Yeah, maybe we'll do an episode about Florida. Anyway, but today we won't be talking about the UK or Florida or Thailand. We're going to be chatting about a trip that Ken did recently, which was to Jamaica. Jamaica's a place that I've done a short trip a few years ago as well, so I'll be uh, keen to hear how our experiences um, differ. So this was not a tour. This was just a little bit of personal birding, right? That's right. Yeah, very short, uh, basically three full days in Jamaica. At least that was really? the plan. <laughs> right. I know I haven't heard much or anything about your trip there. I, I heard there was maybe a few little issues. But um, in, in the run-up to it, you were asking me whether I thought you doing a, a self-drive around Jamaica was a good idea or not. So I, I did uh, about a six-day tour with a Japanese group back in 2018. And we had a local guide that took us around, really nice guy. But um, did you go on your own in the end or with a guide? Yep. Totally self-drive and I booked mm -hmm. all the hotels and, yep. Well, some of it just did on the fly and just found places as right. we went. Uh, I went with an old college birding friend. So, yeah, it wasn't guiding. It was just very brief personal trip yep did everything on our own so, so i i guess you weren't murdered nope nope no murder survived. no uh <laughs> it i mean it, it is an interesting place because you hear about how terrible it is all the time and how mm. dangerous and one of the highest murder rates in the world and so on so yeah i, I did ask a few people some questions about whether they thought I could do this or whether this was reckless and so on. And yeah, really no issue whatsoever. I mean, I don't know. I now you're, I mean, you always worry though. You, you hear stories of dangerous countries, you know, like America, you know, and you're, you're a bit paranoid about going to these um, sort of murder capitals. But, you know, I mean, South Africa's like that as well, you know, and, and us having spent so much time in the place, you know, you know how to keep safe and, and whatever. So, uh, yeah, you, you you didn't find it dangerous or seem there weren't any dodgy incidents or anything? So my friend is from, or he lives in Norfolk, Virginia, and he described Jamaica as similar to Norfolk, but safer and less <laughs> marijuana. <laughs> And that was, there was no there was no hyperbole there like that's that was a pretty accurate really? description yeah it, um, 
yeah, you know, you'd think with all these Rastafarian stereotypes and everything that there's just going to be clouds of uh, marijuana smoke everywhere and you're going to be smelling it everywhere. And... No, that really wasn't the case. Um, and yeah, it just felt quite safe. The only place that felt a little dodgy was Kingston, basically driving through yeah. Kingston. And I mean, what was uh -huh. the form? Basically, you can see there's a lot of bars on windows and that kind of thing. And then there were yeah. some very aggressive guys sort of washing windows at stoplights right i mean that's it's pretty mild but there was a vibe of yeah if you were in the wrong the, neighborhood the here at the wrong time of yeah. day things could go bad pretty quickly mm. but you know you're not spending your time there <clears throat> you a lot of my questions that i asked people like you were out on the countryside do i have to worry about anything and most people said no it, like the vast majority of the world is that way yeah, yeah. The countryside felt quite safe Did you find people were friendly in the countryside when you were out birding? Well, yeah, pretty friendly. The Jamaicans are funny folks. Eh? I, I, I'd be curious to hear your <laughs> thoughts, but I I find them kind of aggressively friendly, a, a bit like Americans in some ways. There's, It's not the kind of uh, Thai, you know, very, just leave you to do your own thing. And, you know, they right. can, people kind of get up in your face and are really friendly and they're almost making a point of like we like we see what you're doing <laughs> i don't know how to describe it exactly but uh did you find people so these people that would come up to you were they did it seem like they wanted something or that they they were just kind of being friendly yeah most there wasn't uh begging or anything like that yeah just i don't know you just be along some little rural road and people walking by will definitely sort of make a point of greeting you and uh, yeah it's no problem with that it's definitely not a place where you're gonna drive around and feel like nobody even notices you're there like say argentina right. but yeah. the interactions that with just random people were definitely friendly and didn't feel uh aggressive or like people particularly wanted anything did, did people uh Address you as white boy. <laughs> I didn't hear that. You get that? <laughs> I think I a couple of times. Hey, white boy. Hey, white boy. <laughs> um, uh, wonderful. Yeah, but in a totally friendly way, you know. It was, right. It was just funny. I, I, I was just, I just fell in love with the accent. All I wanted to do was speak it. I just wanted to, and I, and I felt myself slipping into it. Um, but I, it's really one of my favorite accents in the in the world. I think it's a wonderful accent, and it's a tricky one. I, I haven't. I don't think I've been immersed enough in it to really get it. But the first first night when we arrived, we stopped and bought a little food at a, at a shop. And the cashier didn't have enough change. And she said something like, I'll give you a Jolly Ranja. So <laughs> instead of, of change, my, my buddy got a, a Jolly Rancho candy to, for, for his balance. And he just, he loved that. Oh, oh, that's it, great! It is such a funny accent, Eddie. You know, there. I don't know. I mm. some part of me feels like everyone should be speaking Spanish, just based on where it is on the globe. But then, yeah, nope. apparently there's some some Spanish enclaves. But yeah, it's it's very English speaking, but a very distinctive brand of English. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. We uh, 
so we had this guide, this guy called Ricardo. He was a super nice guy, and he just seemed to know everybody as well. So most of the interactions were sort of through him. Right. You know, locals would go by, and they would kind of greet him, and they'd kind of wave at us. And we, and we were with these, like group of elderly japanese people so you know it was quite a <laughs> you were conspicuous not, uh, yeah we were pretty conspicuous but um i think uh um people didn't quite you know know what to uh what we who we were or where they were from or whatever the chinaman <laughs> <laughs> was that a, a greeting there I I can't remember what they were saying, but it was it 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 was a kind of like a funny it was a funny vibe, you know. You get these rasters walking by and greeting the guy, and you, you were t- I, w- I was always just trying to understand as much as I could of what was going on and pick up a few little things. But um, yeah, it was <laughs> it was very cool. I I I I must say that was one of my favorite parts of the of the trip was just listening to people speak. Yeah, what great accent. One of the things that I impresses me about Jamaica is that it is quite a small island and it's pretty remote geographically, but it has had an outsized cultural impact on the world. You know, it's mm. kind of like the center of Afro-Caribbean culture, which is quite a yeah. quite a powerful culture and you know, a lot of artists, obviously Bob Marley is the classic one and and I I actually I've thought about this quite a bit, and I think Bob Marley may be the world's most universally appreciated musician. Be- mm. I mean, you hear him everywhere. You can be in, like, India, where you basically hear Indian music. You know, you're not hearing, like, Michael mm. Jackson or or whatever, <laughs> but you can still hear Bob Marley. It, he's just everywhere. You know, you can be in New Guinea and you hear Bob Marley. It can be... Anywhere in Latin America and hear Bob Marley. Like, I think he may be the world's most universal pop star. Yeah. Could say that. And the Jamaican culture's got a, it's got a big influence in the UK as well. I mean, we had a lot of Jamaican immigrants. I don't quite know when. It might have been in the 50s, 60s, you know. But that's... Um, and there's still very, you know, prominent communities, you know, West Indian communities um, in the UK. Um, yeah, so it's quite a, yeah, it's quite a prominent, prominent culture. So in I, a guess lot of places, part, I guess part of yeah. it is that Jamaicans have just gone all over the world, right? Mm. A bit like say yeah. Nigerians or Indians, although India is such a large country with so many people, it's maybe not surprising that they, there are some Indians all over the place, but Jamaica is a small country, but people have have gone everywhere and yeah they've had a big effect on the states and big effect on britain and yeah jamaican food is well known and music and so it's kind of a fascinating country from that perspective it's it's interesting to see the ground zero of this very influential culture and i guess music is a big part of it isn't it i mean you and and it's a it's a music that gives a very distinctive vibe you know it's it's this kind of very you know tropical kind of relaxing you know beat just chilled beat and it's um yeah you 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 sort of and and i was hearing music quite a lot of the time even in the middle of nowhere you know if anybody is living somewhere or even walking along with like a little radio or something like that you know everybody's listening to music a lot of the time yep so i must say I, i must say i enjoyed that as well enjoyed the music side of it and the people 
So what did you think of Jamaican food when you were there? I I don't have I don't have much recollection of it to be honest. I was there in 2018, so that's you know 5 6 years ago. Um and I can't remember thinking it was wonderful, but I can't remember thinking it was very bad either. So, yeah. Uh, well, how about you? Well, its food is also kind of global. I mean, you'll find mm. uh, like jerk all over the world. And yeah, that's yeah, sort yeah. of the Jamaican barbecue. Yeah. Uh, you'll find things like patties all over the world. This is the kind of a, the Jamaican pie, I guess. Food mm. on the run. Um, you know, red striped beer is all over the world. Yep. I wasn't super impressed with the food. It was, it was, it was okay. Um, it's quite expensive. That's actually a bit of a shock really? in Jamaica. Things were quite expensive in general. And it's one of these places where I don't understand how many people live there because... Mm. many folks seem very poor it seems like if you're involved in tourism directly you can make a good living and certainly there's all kinds of fancy resorts and stuff but when you see folks living out in the countryside it's hard to you know understand how they generate much income and then when you see how much things cost even in just in tiny little stores in rural towns I, man it must be mm -hmm. hard for many people to survive so yeah, the food is not cheap. Even you stop at some random jerk place next to the highway, away from a city, it's you know still quite expensive. But huh. it's good. The jerk is good. I mean, it's kind of it's on par with some of the really good U.S. barbecue. I would say quite similar in a lot of ways. I'm sure we're gonna offend Jamaicans, all of our Jamaican listeners, on this, <laughs> as we did with our, our Argentinian friends and our Argentina. Episodes, yeah, but. I, yeah, I think we were on one of these kind of all-inclusive things. You know, the ground agent covered all the all the meals. So we were a little bit removed from that. I might have eaten in the hotel before the tour. But, yeah, I didn't really, uh, yeah, I wasn't really exposed to that. didn't have to buy my own food. Um, unfortunately, I mean, the other famous thing that um, in Jamaica is the coffee, you know, Blue Mountain coffee and stuff. And I wasn't drinking coffee back then. Um, but we we did... I think everybody wanted to buy some, so we did stop in um, at a at a, like a coffee plantation that the local guide knew. We went in there, had a quick coffee tour, and um, I actually chewed a coffee bean, and they gave us like bits of these like really high quality ones, and it you, know, you could tell it was quite you could tell it was quite nice, even you know not knowing anything about coffee, it had quite a sort of fine aroma. Yeah, it's really good coffee for sure. Mm. I very imagine, expensive, eh? Yes, very expensive, and I just mm. I imagined it would be a coffee drinking place because you have really good domestic coffee, and that you just find coffee all over the place. Absolutely not the case. You struggle to find, <laughs> you struggle struggle to get a, a cup of coffee away from the cities. You're lucky yeah. if you get Noes Cafe, uh, Nes Cafe. It's huh. it's odd. I think it's one of these places maybe where the coffee demands such a high price that people just export it all and uh it's always a bit sad you know um uh, something i enjoy about ethiopia is that everybody's drinking coffee all Everybody the time everywhere it, yeah. super cheap and they just seem to drink a lot of their own coffee but yeah jamaica was 
When Ghana you, is a bit like that as well. Like you know, this, they they produce coffee, but you, you don't ever see any apart from Nescafe. You know, it's, right. it's all kind of exported. I remember when we were in the Blue Mountains. So we we were sort of went through this little village, and there was a guy selling coffee like a local. I think he was like a rasta, and he was roasting his own coffee there, and and he kind of got us to go in, and it was it was a lot cheaper than the than the fancy coffee plantations hmm. and um yeah he's to be a sort of local selling it that was it. his stuff was a bit cheaper so um yeah so how did you find the birding was it uh i mean there's a there's a sort of i think all the endemics again we did six days i think and we got all the endemics i think there's 28 now because they split the streamer tails but there was 27 at the time that we went and i think we went to like three different locations and we yeah we got uh, I just don't, it took us to the last day to find the last one, but we we did manage to see them all in six days. Yeah, so we had three full days and managed to find all the endemics. That, <laughs> you must have been birding pretty hard. Yes, yes, it was pretty yeah. much just nonstop. Uh, you know, right out pre-dawn, birding a couple hours, then driving a, a couple hours, few hours, and. I mean, it's not a big place, but the roads are not in great condition, especially when you get mm. away from the the main coastal routes. So it takes a long time to, and we pretty much covered the whole island, flew into Montego, ended, or made our way all the way over to the east side of of Jamaica. The uh, Eccles Down Road is a famous birding area. Eccles Down Blue Road. Mountains. Yeah. And then it actually went birding in the southwest in um, some wetland areas and then crossed back up to Montego. So covered virtually the whole island in uh, three, four days. Yeah, saw all the wow. endemics. It's, it's a funny place because most of the birds are pretty easy. Well, let's put it this way. You have very good chances of finding all the birds, but many of them are not particularly easy. It's actually reminds me a bit of Madagascar, where there's not many endemics that are just overwhelmingly difficult, such that you just write them off, but a lot of them can give you some trouble. And uh, yeah, we definitely uh, came down to the wire on a couple on a couple of the endemics, especially <laughs> the owl. Owl was uh, really a tough one to find for us. Is that I, I think it's um it's, it's just. There's a bit of luck involved there, you know. When when things are not too common, you know, there's there's an element of luck involved. I think you may just come along them, you know, come across them quite quickly and easily, and but then you also may just get unlucky and miss them. Yep. So, uh, but, I mean, we we saw I mean we saw the owl pretty easily, and um, but we struggled with the crow. Huh. We only got that on the last day on the way to the airport. So uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think season probably plays a big role. It's always hard to know in these mm. tropical places with a lot of resident birds when, when you know what season is best for birding. But I was there in August, and I do not think mm. that is a particularly good time for birding. You certainly <laughs> lack all the neotropical migrants, but it, it also seemed like the resident birds were just not very vocal. There wasn't a lot of breeding activity. So I imagine might have been post post breeding, I guess. Yeah, that's how it felt. It felt mm. it felt like August, basically, even in say North America or in the states, where it's a kind of quiet time. Where yeah, there's some baby birds around. Yeah, how about how about you? How Was did it, you find the birding? We went in January, 
Um, and it was uh, it was nice, you know. It was it, it was it was fairly cool. Um, I don't remember it being really hot or humid. There was quite a lot of migrants around, but then there's a there's a few birds that breed there that we missed. I think there's a uh, like Antillean nightjar and um, there's maybe one or two flycatchers. So things that when you do a later tour, um, I think some people go in sort of April or around then and they pick up those those breeding birds. But yeah, we got the we got some of the um some of the migrant birds as well. Yeah, and it seemed a fairly nice time to go. Yeah, we didn't things were responding pretty well to playback. Yeah, it was very hot in August, that's for sure. You know yeah, the, there's that site, <laughs> the Hellshire Hills that's just yes. south and west of Kingston and it's this fascinating Hellish area of like semi desert, right? Mm. And man, it was dry, hot there. Dry forest. <laughs> it, was, it was blazing. So what were some of your sort of bird highlights? I think my favorite bird was the crested coil dove. That's this big chunky oh. endemic dove and very difficult to find it, um mm. this was one of these proper birding experiences where i heard the thing way off in the forest and just decided right i'm going for this bird i don't know it. if i'm going to hear another one or see <laughs> another one i just got to see this one and basically just bushwhacked like up a little ravine and then up this incredibly steep slope and the thing keeps on singing and it's way overhead and scanning and scanning and then creeping up because quail loves are quite shy and was just worried the whole time that it would just fly away you know maybe that's you see it but it's just flying away and this probably took like 40 minutes and eventually spotted this thing had a, had a wonderful view and then it actually flew a little ways away, but then landed in an even better position. So it's a great bird, and it's quite a distinctive quail dove. It doesn't look that similar to any other quail dove. But I think just the experience of of tracking down this elusive bird was what made it memorable. I think, that do they now call it the mountain witch? I, think, I remember I used to... There's all these... When I worked in... Cool yeah, all these names, local names are yeah. very funny, but they call it. I, and I think in aviculture as well, it was called a mountain witch dove, because um, we used to keep them. Um, yeah, but I think the local name was mountain witch. But there, there's all kind of funny, funny names for some stuff. Let's see if I can pull up a few. Yeah, the cool, cool local names, which are English, but uh, yeah, there's some funny ones there. The the thrush is the hopping dick. White chin thrush, hopping dick. <laughs> there's the there's the old old man bird and the old woman bird. I think the two cuckoo endemic cuckoos. Oh, those cuckoos are, are fantastic. I would say yeah, they're good. Eh? If I was making a top five, the probably both of the cuckoos would be there. Yeah, wonderful, yeah. wonderful cuckoos. Very very cool birds. Just big bold. Cuckoos with these kind of crazy cackling vocalizations. Um, I I pulled up a few of the other local names to see what else. The Doctor Bird. Doctor Bird. Do you know what that is? Yeah, that's red billed streamer tail. Which I think that might the be the, the streamer tail. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, 
They said they're. Uh, it's called the Doctor Bird because the streamer tail's long tails resemble the frocks once worn by medical men. Doctor Bird. The. Uh, do, do you know what Auntie Katie is? Nope. Is a Jamaican Oriole. The big Tom Fool, <laughs> Rufus Tail Flycatcher. Big Tom Fool. What other ones? Are? Big Tom Fool and Little Tom Fool. Is that sad flycatcher? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's funny. You know, you like it's quite funny. Robin Redbreast was a nice one. That's the uh, the toady, Jamaican toady. Robin. Have you been elsewhere in the Caribbean? No, that was my first time in the Caribbean. Right, there are probably a few new families and stuff. Yeah. Get, get the toadies, the toadies are a sort of uh, Caribbean endemic family. Right, right. That's a new new family for me. Yeah, wonderful little, bizarre little things, toadies. Little what did you think, what did you make of the toady? What did, what did you find it most similar to? It's basically like a tiny jacamar. That's what I yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I think it actually probably is related to them, but it's really really small and just goes out and does these little sallies, catching catching flying insects. Very cute. Yeah, almost like a a tiny little kingfisher as well, like, a, mm. like an absolutely miniature woodland dwelling kingfisher. That's gorgeous. That was probably the biggest draw for the Japanese. They really, I think they call it like the pygmy bird, Kobito Dodi. <laughs> Um, and they just love small things, you know. The Japanese just love making things extra small. So anything small is always a, a, a you know, uh, in their favor. Well, but, um, this one lady, especially that um, wanted to go there, she really wanted to get a picture of it. But they're quite they're quite furtive. They kind mm-hmm. of move around quite a bit. It's not particularly easy bird to photograph. Quite easy to find. But she kept uh, she kept missing it. She had a she had one of these point and shoots with a lag. You know, you push the button and it takes a second before it takes a picture. And I mean, literally, we spent hours trying to get this lady to get a picture of this thing, and she just kept. She was getting so frustrated, and I was like, "Well, just buy a new camera." You know, it's um, it, <laughs> but it's a it's a beautiful little bird, yeah. I think there's four species, aren't there? There's well, a Cuban one, and I think two on uh, two Dominican on, Republic. Uh, Dominican, or, or yeah. Mm. Another one of my favorite birds was the solitaire, the rufous-throated solitaire. It's not actually oh, yeah. endemic to Jamaica. I think it's on uh, mm. Dominican as well. But oh, what a great bird! Just just beautiful bird, beautiful song, beautiful habitat. It lives up in the cloud forest on top of the mountains. Really enjoyed yeah. that one. Another bird that I, I like the name of is the uh, the arrowhead warbler. <laughs> it's such a good name. It's such a cool name, and uh, yeah, I guess it's a little kind of uh, arrowhead marks. It's kind of kind of a little bit like a black and white warbler, isn't it? But different, slightly different patterning. Another bird I I quite enjoyed was the Jamaican blackbird. That may be the yeah. toughest of the endemic um, birds, yeah. the toughest to find. Yeah, and it's not particularly great looking. I mean, it looks like a blackbird, right? It's a, it's a blackbird <laughs> with a sort of long tail and a very sharp bill, fairly sturdy bill. But weird behavior. The thing is kind of mm. creeping around in the mid story of mossy montane forest, 
And, and I found one. Like hang, hanging upside down sometimes, I seem to remember it. Like and sticking its bill in little yeah, dried kind of leaves. Creeping, and, yeah, yeah, interesting. It's really foraging. unexpectedly distinctive in behavior. You look at it in a field guide mm. or whatever, even if you see a picture, you might just think this is just another blackbird grackled thing, but it really does have its own Jamaican vibe. I think they I think they often like forage in bromeliads and mm-hmm. stuff like that as well. And you you could often see them kind of you could hear them sort of poking around in the base of bromeliads. Yeah. It's um it's cool. There was a nice um yeah, the streamer tail obviously is gorgeous. There's um there's some other um hummingbirds there, another endemic one, the Jamaican mango, which is which is like almost purple. You know, there's not many purple birds in the world, but this is like really purple. Pinky purple. Kind of cool when you see it in good light. Yeah. Overall I would say quite a high quality set of endemics. Hmm. Yeah. Like mostly quite quite cool birds. And even some of the things that if you just look at a picture don't seem that distinctive. Like Jamaican woodpecker is that way too. It, it looks a lot like a red bellied woodpecker, but it's quite quite a different thing when you really run into it. Um Orange keet is quite a quite a cool little little thing, sort of tanager like thing. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. It's funny name. I, I mean, I guess you get. I guess it's named after the sort of banana quit. You know, you got there, and this is <laughs> the the orange quit. Yep. Yeah, the owl is cool. I, I certainly did like the owl. It's quite distinctive, kind of. Um, Orangey brown color with this big facial disc and streaks and fair size as well. Yeah, Jamaican owl. I I think it's in its own mm. genus, which for people who don't know, that usually just indicates that something is quite distinctive taxonomically, sort of evolved on its own for a long time. Yeah, I don't. I'm not even sure what I would compare Jamaican owl to exactly. It's it's its own thing. It's a bit like a sort of Asian wood owl or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like brown wood owl a bit. or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I definitely had the impression it's, in Jamaica. It's it is a bit of a laboratory of evolution. You know, it's, um, mm. it's the most. It's probably the most geographically isolated Caribbean island. It's hmm. the farthest from other islands, and it's sort of off by itself. Whereas, like all the Lesser Antilles are in a string, where you can see that things have been jumping back and forth, and um, even like Cuba and uh, Dominican are quite close together. And Jamaica's not super far from those two islands either, but it's just a little bit farther away, and it's not in this a sort of contiguous string of islands. And, and I think I guess it has more endemic birds than any other single uh, nation in the Caribbean. How many does Cuba have? I think it has just. It's in the same neighborhood. It's, uh, yeah, but I think it's like just 20, like twenty-six or something like that. Um, but then you look at the size of look. Cuba. You know, Cuba is probably like. 10 times larger than Jamaica. Uh, it actually says there's 30, but I'm wondering if any some of these ones might be extinct. And then th- quite a few Cuban endemic birds are shared with Dominican as well, so I think it depends how right. you tally some of those up. Yeah. Yeah, but it's um no, it's definitely a, a very cool place to visit. I mean, but very easily access from the states 
very easy. I was amazed by the number of Americans mm. just pouring in out of Jamaica. It's very popular. I mean, even though it's got that, you know, reputation for being dangerous, it doesn't seem to stop the the big tourist numbers. I guess most people just go to the resorts and stuff, which are very safe and uh, right. Sit by the pool and drink a cocktail. Yeah, I I bet ninety five or more percent of the people who visit have all inclusive packages at these gated resorts. <laughs> um, and and I even wonder to what degree this whole fear mongering about how Jamaica is so dangerous is in service of getting people to just go to those resorts and not do their own thing <laughs> and not explore. You know, it definitely yeah. kind of keeps that whole industry running. I've never seen anything quite like the Montego Bay airport. The whole airport is basically run by some kind of resort tour company. All the employees right. are employees of this one company. Even like the lady in the little cell phone shop was an employee of this company. And really, in a way, it's brilliant. It's it's a pretty pretty well run airport and pretty pretty friendly and efficient. But I think they just decided that like this is just such a conduit for tourists that we want their experience, their first experience here to be a good one, and uh, just sort of signed over the whole airport to this this company. So you just you just arrived and hired a car right there, and then drove around, and then came back and dropped it at the same place when you left. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Some pretty uh, pretty with- hectic driving. Eh? I, I mean. Really, I, I can understand why a lot of people don't want to do that. I I would count it among the most intense driving I've ever done. A lot of narrow really? roads. People drive pretty aggressively. Not particularly good drivers. Um, <laughs> man, the mountain the mountain roads are they're insane. The the way people drive. I mean, people just whipping around curves, high speed, right. going right down the middle of a road. It's it was it was pretty hairy at points pretty pretty exhausting driving i mean after those three days of sort of big day like activity i was pretty pretty crushed pretty exhausted were you sharing the driving with your friend or was it just you no i did all the driving he right. didn't have any experience driving on right. uh, the opposite side of the road the uh, the british uh-huh. side of the road and so just yeah. that in combination with all the other difficulties there it, it just made sense for me to do it Right. Now, did you have any other encounters or anything? You, I, I know you. I think you made reference to it at a point about you know general vibe and interactions with people. Yeah, I did. But there was something weird about accommodation in Jamaica. It was as I sort of referenced earlier, super expensive. I booked a couple different Airbnbs. They were all pretty bad in various ways just not particularly well maintained and and just had weird little um conflicts with these airbnb hosts there was a bizarre thing where the our first night i had rented this place because it explicitly said you know we have this many bedrooms this many beds and but when i got there they told me oh well since you're only two people we only give you one bedroom and the other bedroom was locked and then you have to right. you got to pay $30 for us to unlock that door. <laughs> like come on. This is this is ridiculous. Like uh just had this big 
dust up with this Airbnb host about this. And it just seemed so, so pointless to me. Um, yeah, just pretty much everywhere we stayed was, was just not particularly good. Uh, I suppose this is another reason why people go to these uh, resorts is just to be assured yeah. of, like everything's going to be smooth and nice. And But boy, when you're away from those resorts, yeah, the accommodation situation was not great. Just not great <sighs> options and not very good customer service. I had another bizarre thing early one morning. Stayed in this kind of local guest house down in the southwest. And they had told me, oh yeah, we'll we'll get up and boil water for you so you can make some coffee i woke up early absolutely nobody there i'm shouting nobody's answering <laughs> finally I, I realized okay the kitchen's right over here i'm just gonna go boil some water and right. make my coffee and not bother these people but they woke up maybe they had a security camera or system or something and I, maybe i set that uh. off i don't know but these people woke <laughs> up and they basically they live right in this guest house and they came down and they were just going off about uh oh, we don't do like that we don't do like that you know we don't go in people's kitchens we don't do like that i mean this this lady was oh, just berating me and it was just like well i'm just trying to make a cup of coffee and you guys said you would do this for me and i'm i mean it was just, yeah. just ridiculously aggressive and unpleasant and uh yeah so just had several of these encounters in a very short trip to jamaica as opposed to, uh, you know, we were Sounds chatting about bit. Costa Rica, spent yeah. almost three weeks, interacted with hundreds and hundreds of different people and didn't have a single interaction like that. So there is something in Jamaica. I don't know if it's just... edgy vibe. Yeah, there is an edgy vibe. Um, a lot of people just don't seem very happy. It's almost like Papua in a way where people seem to go very aggressive very quickly over uh. small things. It's kind of interesting how these things end up. I think there's a little bit of a bit of chance involved, you know, a little bit of kind of random. It's like you take a, you know, you take all these people and you just kind of mix them all up and and then you you, you end up with a product of a, like a sort of national character and 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 on one level you could get everybody saying pura vida and being kind to each other or you know or like in thailand everybody smiles to you and and you you have like an end result of what the people are like but it it seems a little bit random sometimes you know you could get a couple of countries next to each other that are very different like say in south america the national characters between the different countries are quite different but they've had a pretty similar history so there just seems to be a little bit of a a random effect going on sometimes Right. Although a random, yes, but then a place like Jamaica, a very short visit, multiple unpleasant antagonistic encounters, mm. a long time in Costa Rica with none of those. It does paint a picture of, okay, there's there's something in the culture in these places. Of course, a lot of it is chance to, like, uh, you know, you could have just bumped into some great folks in Jamaica. And, and, and I did. Actually, the last place I stayed in Montego was... was really cool it was run by an yeah. american lady married to a jamaican guy and they were both really interesting folks and so yeah we often do overweight the uh negative and remember those things i think you 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 base your opinion of a country on relatively few encounters i always think if you have 
you know, say three bad encounters in a row, that's going to really count against them. You say, oh, you know, what's it like there? And you're like, well, you know, the people are a bit like this. And it's, and it, yeah, you sort of, I found I've done that before in, in like Chile, um, definitely in Venezuela, um, places that I've left with a pretty sour taste in my mouth. And for Chile, I went there again and then I found it really nice. So I think, yeah, I think sometimes you can get a little bit unlucky. It was very funny. So I was just in the UK with my family. And I'm always, I'm pretty soured on British people. You know, I'm not a big fan of British culture or, you know, people can be a little bit petty and whatever. But um, we, we got back. And I think the first person was the lady that was stamping the passports, you know, the immigration lady. And she was so friendly. I just couldn't believe it. She was like, because uh, we, we had we had three different color passports. Mine was like a sort of uh, the old red one, and my son had a new black one in the UK. And then uh, my wife had a green one. She's like, oh, lots of uh, that's a nice array of colors like that. And she's asking where we were going and what we were doing, but like in a very kind of friendly, curious way. And we're like, oh wow, this is weird. And then we, I asked directions to a couple of people, and everybody was so friendly and kind. I was like, this is not quite what I was <laughs> expecting, you know. Boy, so, what's wrong with you? Oh yeah, <laughs> get out, get out, road. Um, no, it's funny. Things can, because uh, I, I mean, I we had this guide, and you know, obviously, he sort of cushioned us a little bit from, you know, it's a little bit of a different experience than doing a self-drive trip. But I mean, we had a very pleasant trip and felt everybody was very nice. You know, I didn't really have any of these things, but um, yeah, it's interesting. I can see how that would be a good way to to visit Jamaica is having somebody who's kind of showing you around and knows people. And I think it's one of these places where a lot of stuff is revolves around who you know and family. And yeah. And if you have sort of have an in, you, I think you'd be treated really nicely everywhere. Um, I it does seem like a place where if you're not in that category, you just kind of viewed as a source of money. Uh, I mean, I think it's a right. Yeah. It, you're walking walking dollar signs to a lot of folks and i think yeah. there's a lot of people without a lot and there's maybe some resentment there seems to be a pretty strong divide between the haves who are associated with these resorts which charge like three four hundred dollars a night um and then yeah. those who don't have who just live in a little shack out in the countryside and grow a bit of corn mm. it, like it it seemed like one of the most strikingly divided places i've ever seen um massive income disparity which definitely breeds resentment and I, you know i can see how that might be directed against tourists um uh, in in some way so i understand it i would think those kind of people that you know are living in pretty by pretty modest means in the middle of nowhere like you know even though the the country itself makes a lot of money from tourism they're they're probably getting none of it they're seeing none of it at all so it's um yeah it's a shame that things can't be that not everybody can sort of share a little bit in this uh in this thing yeah it it struck me as a, a tragically poorly managed country when it comes to the government and just about everybody i talked to about the government had bad really bad things to say about it it seems very corrupt and Right. I mean, it, it it seems like simultaneously the government has sold 
all the nicest parts of the country to various foreign companies to make resorts right and yeah then done very Talk little for its people with whatever they've made from all of that and it just yeah it just seems like a kind of a racket um not a very good deal for people living there especially those not immediately associated with these resorts and i suppose that's why there's such a diaspora of jamaicans all over the world is because a lot of them want uh, to move. better yeah. managed countries yeah i mean when you when you think of the sort of percentage of of the population that's making something from tourism somewhere like costa rica you know with all these little little private reserves and guides and restaurants and you know i think there's probably a a lot more people making a little bit out of it yeah for sure uh, for sure and, but you know it also becomes you get these virtuous versus vicious cycles so mm. my experience of traveling around jamaica and going to little towns and looking for tourist facilities was not particularly good and the people were not particularly good at catering to that kind of small-scale hospitality tourism yeah and so you know i wouldn't come back and say oh you should definitely go do what i did um whereas it whereas it's so good in costa rica on, a, on every level every little reserve and hotel and guest house that i would recommend that to other people and they're going to go back and you know other people are going to come and do that and have a good yeah. experience and uh you know I th but as you referenced there's it's kind of mysterious these cultures of tourism and and you know how would you get something like that established in jamaica like how would you start more of a grassroots tourism as opposed to this the big resort culture uh, very tricky thing to do I think in general, people are going for a different thing, aren't they? I mean, uh, you, you were saying a lot of the people in Costa Rica are not really bird watchers, but they're, they're actually going and doing bird watching and looking at nature because that's what you do there. Yep. And when you go to Jamaica, you go to the resort, you go to the beach, you drink a cocktail, you sit by the pool. That's what you do there. Yep. Yeah. It's all about sort of expectations and the framing of like, I am yeah. on this trip to do X. And yeah, that's so fascinating in Costa Rica how... Even some of the most unlikely people are seem quite into the ecotourism since that is what they've decided they're doing. You know what I've what I think a sort of an equivalent in Asia of Costa Rica will probably be Borneo. Mm -hmm. Will probably yep. be Sab Sabah, and it's really I don't know when the last time you went there was, but it's but last when I went there last year it was absolutely booming. Every single lodge was just full of people all doing these little boat rides and little canopy walks and stuff. And these were not bird watchers at all. You know, these were, but they were looking at nature and enjoying it. And that's where they, that's what they went there for. Yeah. So it's, um, it's cool how a, how a, a country can sell itself as a certain thing. It's a, it's a marketing thing in the end, isn't it? It's what you, it's what you, it's what you're selling yourself as. Right. It, it's marketing, but then, it has to permeate pretty deep into the culture and a lot of people mm. have to buy into this project and understand yeah. what they're doing to at least to get a Costa Rica or a, a Saba level of service. And that, I think that's the hard part is to get that buy-in from almost everybody. Well, before we wrap up, I got to tell you about the end of my time in Jamaica, which was <laughs> quite painful. Not, not probably not particularly the fault of Jamaica, but well, maybe a little bit. So what, we've been there three days, seen all the endemic birds, been all over the island. 
drop off the rental car, head into the terminal. As soon as, as we got into the terminal, I just sensed uh, something is amiss here. This is not business as usual. There's just way more people around and people are looking a little bit frantic. There's huge queues. And I get to the check-in desk and they actually checked me in, but they said, oh, you know, there might be delays. And I'm getting, I'm getting texts about uh, delays already. Like my flight's delayed two hours. Okay. But then I start talking to other people there and the story is that during the night, the tarmac of the airport has been resurfaced. <laughs> I don't know why, but I guess it was just time for that. But they, it was done improperly. And <laughs> this actually made it dangerous for planes to take off or land. And so it, it had already been redone. But they were waiting for an inspector to arrive from maybe the States or something to inspect the tarmac and make sure it was actually okay. So I don't know if this was some fly-by-night company that had done this improperly. I don't know what the backstory was about how this got done uh, incorrectly, but it caused a total backup because basically no planes are taking off or landing for like 24 hours. Yeah. And I've never seen anything quite like this. Um, I think... Maybe some of the early folks there or people who had elite status with various airlines, they might have been given a hotel room or something. Because, well, as it, as it turned out, there were no flights leaving this day. No, but nobody's going anywhere. And, but this slowly develops. So, so I, I basically, I get, you know, I'm checked in. I have my boarding pass. I've checked my bag. I go into the terminal. I even go through the passport control through security and I get in there and it, again, it's just a madhouse in this relatively small airport. There's just thousands of people everywhere. And I, I go to my gate and there's not even anybody there. This is a really bad sign. I, I'm following um, updates on my phone and they keep delaying, delaying, <clears throat> delaying. And finally I realize this flight is not going anywhere. It was this whole, even getting, so by this point, I'd already sort of legally exited Jamaica. You know, my passport was stamped. I didn't have my baggage. And then I have to get out of there because I realize I'm, I'm not leaving until the next day. But how do you get out of that? There's no easy way to get out of that part of the airport. And there's nobody at the gate. So I, there's nobody from Delta even there to talk to. I end up talking to some yeah. United people at another gate which was the original gate my plane was supposed to fly out of. And I was just telling them, guys, I have no way to get out of here. Can you, can you help me here? Because this was supposed to be the gate. There's no one from Delta in this whole airport. And they basically said, no, you got to speak to Delta people. I said, there's no Delta people here. Finally, they basically took pity on me and let me go out the little, like, United exit. And there was <laughs> this weird, like subterranean passage through the airport that let me back out again thousands of people are, are basically having to do this and then there's this just mad scrum to collect baggage because all all these people's bags have been checked but then they're returning them so they're just chucking thousands of bags onto these uh baggage carousels it takes me like 30 minutes to find my bag I eventually find my bag just <clears throat> like jammed in a corner in a heap of bags 
I, you know, I didn't even think I was going to find it. So I finally got my bag. Then I have to go out, like, back through passport control. And there's massive queues, thousands of people. Finally get out, back to the check-in area. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, they're going to have to give me a, a hotel here. I go, I go back to the Delta desk. The, the employees are leaving. The, like, they are closing the desk for the day. And I just caught them before they left. And they basically told me, no. Nobody's getting any accommodation uh, because this isn't our fault. This isn't the airline's fault. Wow. At this point, the airport looks and feels kind of like a refugee camp because there are <laughs> thousands and thousands of people there and they're basically stranded in the airport. Now, of course, I started doing some shopping on my phone to see if I could find a hotel. Because I figure even, you know, if I have to pay for it, it's okay. I just get a decent night of sleep. Every hotel is booked. I, I start trying to make bookings on various platforms. And even the ones that say they're available, you know, that they, they write back and they say, oh, sorry, rooms are not available. One, one place, I thought I found a place, I booked them and I called them. And they said, oh, no, we don't have any rooms available. And it, it was basically looking like there was no accommodation in all of Montego Bay. Because... Wow. You just had these thousands of stranded passengers. The airlines were doing nothing for people. People are starting to basically jockey for like little bits of floor space. Uh, a few lucky people got pieces of cardboard from somewhere and they have these to lie on to sleep <laughs> for the night. These are almost all Americans. Eh? I mean, these are there's thousands yeah. and thousands of American tourists there. And I think a lot of these folks, they were on some kind of package tour the resort transferred them to the hotel to, to take their flight out and drop them and they're they're just stranded you know they don't they don't have any option the, all the hotels are booked they might not even know how to book a hotel in montego and get a, a taxi there and you know they think it might be unsafe so thousands of people are basically going to sleep on the floor <laughs> of the airport um, there are like massive queues scrums of people around any kind of charge point because everybody's phone is running low because everyone's been in the airport <laughs> for seven hours and i'm i'm just starting to resign myself to like i'm gonna sleep on the floor of this airport with thousands of other people I'm probably not gonna sleep at all because it's gonna be so noisy and at the last minute i found i found this guest house in downtown that actually had a room available uh, managed to get a taxi out there managed to get a, a decent night of sleep and escaped this like, horrific uh, refugee camp-esque scene, but I, I just, I, I sort of couldn't believe that these airlines were leaving people in this situation, but they, there may have been little option, because I think every sort of major hotel was full in the whole city, they just had nowhere to put these people, but it was, yeah, it was quite a remarkable experience. Managed to get out the next day, um, the, I guess the tarmac was approved, and I got out the next day, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, we've we did an episode about air travel. This was a a memorable. Would definitely be a worthy story on that. <laughs> yeah, it was. Jeez, it, that sounds horrific. It was horrific. I've never seen anything quite like it. Just thousands of people stranded in a, a small, um, less developed country airport. Wow, it was quite a. It's quite an eventful short trip you had. <laughs> It was, it was. You know, it felt like 10 days and it was only three. <laughs> yeah.
Oof. I guess it was four in the end because it was uh, plus one days there thanks to uh, plus one day. the tarmac debacle. But there was no birding in that extra day. It was pretty much all yeah. spent in the airport. Cool. Have you got a have you got a nice natural sound for us, Ken? Uh, I think we got to play the solitaire, the uh, not endemic to mm. Jamaica, but it's a Caribbean endemic. Wonderful song. One of my favorite birds of the trip. So we'll play out with uh, Rufus Throated Solitaire. Thanks to everybody for listening and uh, catch you in our next episode. <laughs>